Hello everyone, this is Reverend D. Todd Sloggett. This is the next podcast. The next stands for Need Extra Truth. Need Extra Truth podcast. Um, I'm actually in my office again on the third floor of the HMA headquarters building downtown Sepulpa, Oklahoma. And so you may hear some noise, little traffic, Route 66 behind me. Hopefully not a train about 50 feet to the left of me, but maybe we might have to use the mute button again. You might hear a little humming in the background, and that's my uh, little my little uh, heater here in my office. I normally turn it off when I'm doing a podcast, but I'm not going to do that today <laughs> because it was 18 degrees when I got here this morning uh, outside, of course, and uh, it's still pretty cold in here, so hopefully that doesn't cause you too too many problems. I'm doing a podcast this time, a little discussion about uh, answering a particular question for a minister, and I'm calling this What to Do About Feminine Boys. What to Do About Feminine Boys. Had a Pentecostal youth pastor contact me needing to know what to do about feminine boys. Um, I've spoke with him on the phone a couple of times, don't know him really well. Uh, He said that him and his wife heard me preach several places, and um, they were pastoring at one point. They end up resigning there, and they're youth pastor back at their home church now. And I'm going to kind of skim through some of this. I want to read a lot of his letter, but I have learned my lesson that names and places and all of that doesn't work real well, so I'm trying to skip all that. He says, um, oftentimes... Reverend Sloggett, you say things that I've thought but never verbalized or heard anyone else verbalize. Your posts usually resonate very strongly with my own thoughts regarding our movements and our churches from your Facebook to your blog, etc. Thank you for your ministry and all your great teachings. Um, I have a topic series of questions that I cannot find answers on they're very important because they're literal. I was wondering if you've ever dealt with any of this. You probably have. I've asked many pastors. I've looked for books. I called Focus on the Family. Um, I called Family Talk. And I found very little advice and very little literature about this topic. But I, I'm struggling to believe that there's so little out there because it's so seems so prevalent. As a youth leader, now I have several young men in our church that I'm doing my best to disciple. Please understand that our youth group is not the typical children of the, quote, holiness parents that go to that church or many of the churches we fellowship. Many of our youth come from broken homes, abused pasts. Many of their homes... And home lives are a wreck. And the the filth that they live in on a daily basis is quite sad. First of all, I'm going to get out of his letter for just a second and say that I I commend this individual and everyone like him for doing this type of Christ-like, New Testament, godly, biblical ministry. And I appreciate it very much. I'm glad they're doing it. Back to his letter. With that said, our church and my family have been working with these kids and have seen them genuinely make many changes in their lives. I believe even though they have a long ways to go, 
they've started their journey in serving the Lord. I apologize for being so wordy, but I wanted you to understand the background. A few of these young men have feminine tendencies, some a little more severe than others. I've heard all the preaching against homosexuality and all the remarks about if you walk like a duck, talk like a duck, you're a duck. I've heard much teaching, preaching regarding what not to do. And I've heard lots of bashing about doing it wrong. But I've heard nothing about what to do or how to help those. We seem to want to shun them, run them off, beat them away. But there should be teaching and help for them like everyone else. I have preached and taught it in our Sunday school about how feminism and homosexuality are sin and how the mind and our thoughts are the enemy's largest battleground, but I have never addressed any of the young men individually about their tendencies. When I say feminine tendencies, I'm not just harping on our youth about wearing the latest clothing. I have one young man that has worn female perfume and had carried a purse in the past. I have another young man that has Facebook friends of other men in very inappropriate underclothes. Also, as a disclaimer, I am careful about keeping these young men in groups and not allowing them to be alone with other youth and especially younger children. We are very, very cautious about the situation. I do not believe these boys have acted physically on any of these homosexual tendencies and I hope to redirect them while we have a window of opportunity before they actually do such things. I'm reaching out to you, putting you on the spot to ask you if you've worked with men like this before and if so, what did you do? What worked? Can you give actual answers? Do you speak to them directly and let them know how you have noticed the things that are not natural or do you continue to involve them and mentor them, giving them a godly masculine example and and pray for change? It has taken some time and much work, but I know our youth trust, respect, and love us. I don't want to do or say anything that would make us lose ground, but I also want to address the things that will destroy their lives if gone undealt with. Thank you so much for your time. God bless. Hold on just a second. Gotta grab me some water. Had to reach way over there to get some water. My throat's already dry. I actually remember this individual met him at our fellowship meeting a few years back and uh, I'm very very proud of them glad for what they're doing and sounds like they're doing a lot right I have so much that I could say I could I could write a book on subjects like this I just don't have the time right now I'm thrilled I can't say this enough that them and their church are working with such a group of troubled youth. Many churches wouldn't even go as far 
as these people have done, not even close. Even the ones that say they will or or say they want to, they really have bound themselves and they've they've tied their own hands and they really can't. They have too many traditions of men that hinder them from doing the right kind of outreach or are too confusing for unchurched kids like these to be able to figure out or they're tied in with so many different people that come and go and preach and teach or actually attend their church that is going to kill one of these kids if they keep them around. And I don't mean physically, literally kill one, but destroy them with their words and their hate and their fear. I've sat in many services and listened to saints and ministers testify and preach about how bad they want to see souls saved and how hard they're working to get sinners in but then I listen to the rest of what is said in their services and I realize that if the lost ever do come they'll never survive there outreach from a quote unquote holiness church must be a two edged sword first you must practice and perform true New Testament biblical outreach and second you must bring your converts to a true New Testament Bible church environment. Many churches have neither, and they're rapidly dying, of course. Quite a few over the last 10 to 15 years have developed the first, but still greatly lack in the second. They have developed the practice to perform the New Testament biblical outreach, but they still do not have New Testament Bible church environment to bring their converts to. I'm very excited to see churches at least getting some of the outreach part right, but it is still a far cry from what Christ wanted. Look around and notice how many unchurched, horrible sinners, adulterers, drug addicts, etc., etc., that have been in contact with people that you know from churches that we would fellowship, and God touched them. He really touched them. He delivered them. He saved them. He moved on them. He spoke to them. Even perhaps through outreach and and contact with our people. But they do not attend our churches. They might have come a few times in the beginning. But if they stayed in the body of Christ, it's, it's somewhere else very often. Oftentimes, that is because we had the first part right. God was able to use us, thank the Lord, to reach them, praise God. But we didn't have the second part right. So even though God was able to use us to reach them, He was not able to use us to raise them. This breaks my heart. In, in, in almost every church service that I attend. I, I hardly ever go to a church service anymore and I'm stuck in this horrible place and I'm asking God, is it me? And how do I fix me? And what, what else do I do to help others? And, but almost every service I go to anymore, I see something and I realize, oh, yeah. Probably can't bring them here. Not yet. But we have made progress, and and, and progress must continue. This being said, it sounds to me like this individual that wrote this letter is at least doing the first part right, 
Praise the Lord. Now, can they get the second part right? I agree with him in, in what they have done so far in the sense that they have worked with these young men long enough for them to gain some confidence. This is extremely important because at some point you must counsel with them and counseling is completely worthless if it's not done by someone that is trusted by the one being counseled. That's why just taking your children to the preacher to get counseled or taking the children to a counselor to get counseled isn't always that effective because possibly the, the child doesn't respect the person that's supposed to be the authority. And there's lots of different reasons for that, and that's a different podcast altogether. But building trust is, is important, and it must be first. Doing all the things that, that you're doing... Uh, that they're doing is great and should continue. And, and I want to add a couple other things. Number one, if indeed these young people respect you at this point, you need to talk to them one-on-one. Do not, do not talk to them with the end in mind, the idea of quote-unquote fixing them. Do not go try to fix them. Do not go talk to them with the idea of convincing them. Talk to them with the idea of loving them. You can intend to fix them without loving them and caring about them and their ultimate end. It happens all the time. But you cannot intend to love them without wanting to see them fixed and helped. Oftentimes, ministers decide what is wrong and they counsel to correct that. I decide you're broken in this area. I'm going to counsel you to fix that in you. Oftentimes, ministers are wrong. First find out, then fix. If not, you can waste precious time trying to fix something that isn't broken and never helping the thing that is actually hurting or even making it worse. For example, you may have a young man wearing high heels and carrying a purse, and you may set out to convince him against homosexuality in a very strong way. And all along, he may be a purely straight young man that likes girls, but has a female role complex or is possessed of a feminist spirit and you have to deal with that or you're never going to help there are only two real ways to find out talk to them, ask them, listen to them and get to know them well enough to read their actions correctly and know you're not really good at reading people in the beginning, knock it off you have to know people or Pray and seek God until He reveals it to you through the Holy Ghost. Of course, the Holy Ghost is the most accurate one for sure. But I personally oftentimes find that advising people to attempt the first way is far better in most cases. And don't get me wrong, I trust the Holy Ghost. I just don't trust a lot of people that claim to have it. I know hundreds of people, and so do you, that do things, quote-unquote, in the spirit that turn out to be inappropriate, hurtful, damaging, not right, 
So the Holy Ghost is always right. Somebody that thinks they have the Holy Ghost isn't. Always right. So having the conversations after trust is developed is tremendously important for a couple of reasons. First of all, it gives you valuable information that you can use to guide and give resources. Examples like read this chapter, listen to this sermon, uh, I'll be for you, uh, I'll be there for you in this area. Secondly, at least as importantly, you do not want the young person doing something against their God-given conscience. That society has possibly told them that is okay without a check and balance. They may very well still be questioning the rightness or the wrongness of their actions. But no one they have confidence in has yet challenged them on it. If they're allowed to go to church and pray and hang out in the youth group, etc., etc., and never be challenged on it, sometimes that equates with acceptance and even approval. I know that you and I have seen a lot of stupidity flow from across pulpits in the name of standing against sin. That's a given anymore. But sin should still be stood against without all the goofiness and the ignorance, but it has to be stood against. Not explaining to them what is wrong with it in a rational, reasonable, biblical way is just as destructive to them as the, if it walks like a duck, bashing and smashing and all that stupid junk. Sin must be confronted, but with facts, with love, with righteousness, with truth, not with anger and fear and self-righteousness and traditions. I'll add something else uh, while I'm right here. Teaching and relationships are the key to fix a lot of these problems. You came up in a preaching and preacher-worshipping religious society, most likely. There are many amazing, godly, and wonderful people amongst us, but that is no reason to not work on our faults. Do better. Keep growing. If you and many others like you will draw a line in the sand and start right now we can change things for the better and it will have a ripple effect across your youth groups and and their youth groups and our young people and young married people and on into your church fellowships and literally eventually across the world emphasize teaching more than just preaching emphasize the word more than just the man Emphasize learning more than feeling. Emphasize how people live day by day rather than how good your services are. You will know that this is working by watching the transformation of a few telltale signs. When you preach, you will talk to the people. You will explain to the people. You will read to the people. And you'll be more emphatic on the points that they need to learn and absorb as opposed to just 
screaming the verses at you and and read them and being em- emphatic on the the rhymes and the rhythms and the has and the hus and also over time you will notice that your people that you're ministering to are living more consistent and biblical lives at school and at home and at work and in their marriage and in their relationships and the way they raise their children and spend their money as opposed to frustrating the ministry by dressing right and acting right and looking right and sounding right at the church services and yet still living separate and and somewhat ungodly and definitely more carnal lives everywhere outside of church. The other point was relationships. The church has far too many pastors, staff members, ministry members that, quote, do their job, but are not in relationships with the people that they're supposed to be doing their job to and with and for. Ministry members should be the most spiritual people on the planet, but not the most untouchable people on the planet. I'll give you an example uh, of either... Um, a, a pastor or an evangelist that is a great preacher, an amazing orator, a polished speaker, and he, he runs the show well. He's a master manager, but he's so busy running things and having meetings and pushing the, the process that a, that a member of his would have a hard time meeting with him, getting a call through to him, getting a word in edgewise, talking with him. He's in some ways very untouchable. This means that he risks becoming disconnected with the people that he's supposed to be helping and serving. If they begin to have a problem, he'll only notice it from a distance and he may guess at what it is and attempt a wasted opportunity at resolving the wrong thing from the pulpit on Sunday morning. Next, we have the staff member that is busy working for the kingdom to the point that they are not being a true servant of the king. If you have people working in the sound booth and playing the instruments and running around the the service, doing things for and about the service, those people better be some of your folks that pray the most and study the most and listen the best and are humble and are kind and are deep. If not, you'll have what many end up having. Workers that are your workers because they were willing uh, so you let them because the others weren't willing or uh, they just started doing stuff and you just let them continue or these are huge risks for the converts. Why am I telling you all about the way the church works? Because it matters to the converts. If a convert is struggling, the devil will take the easy pickings and point out the hypocrisy and the inconsistency of people that have uh, been approved of in ministry already ahead of them. These sometimes carnal staff members can have relationships with your converts or, or at least be looked up to by your converts because they hold positions in ministry and it could do the very opposite of what you want done. So the ministers not having time or desire to have relationships with the young souls and then uh, having shallow staff members that, that do have relationships with the young souls, that can spell disaster. 
I also like to point out some, some doctrinal material that may be of long-term assistance. Teaching, preaching, and living very broad and basic biblical doctrines is extremely helpful to the new converts. Just hammering fine points and naming individual things to avoid and to not do, or we say they're bad, is nowhere near as substantive and as growthful to a new convert as living and training and and big, broad swaths of all-day, everyday doctrinal examples. Consistently bringing up and pointing out in Scripture such things as two-sex societies and how it works and why it works and that God made it that way purposefully. And, and, and these things uh, help combat social and generational sins. Bringing up that God created a two-sex society and, and used it to plan the first family, then the first community. When, when sin enters into the human race, God gave two sets of punishments to humans because the, there was two kinds of humans, male and female. When talking about uh, these things, um, you know, you point out Adam had one type of sin, Eve had another type of sin because they were two type of people in Genesis. When talking about an abortion, remember to mention that two-thirds of all of the victims of all abortions are female, half of the babies and all of the mothers, thus making a distinct distinction between male and female. When talking about sodomy and homosexuality, do not fail to point out that besides the spiritual and moral failures of it, there is a huge elephant in the room because no one is talking about this societal failure of it. Plainly stated, if all were homosexual, they would be the last generation of human beings because humanity can't continue without a two-sex society. Don't, doing ministry this way puts bullets in the guns of the converts' minds. It gives them things to think about, think about and wrestle with and, and oppose the devil with. The opposite of this, of course, is just preaching that if you wear a pink shirt, you're a faggot. If you spike your hair or, or buy your pants too tight, that means you're, you're, you're gay. You say, that's radical, brother. That's what's being preached all the time. This doesn't work for so many reasons. Allow me to list a few. It, 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 it is generational and it will change. What do you mean by that? Well, just a few years back where I heard a bunch of preachers screaming at the boys for having too baggy of pants. Now I hear preachers screaming at the boys because they're wearing skinny jeans. The doc- it's not doctrine because doctrine doesn't change. These things have to change. That, that's not going to work. It doesn't have direct scriptural basis. So it can't be taught. Uh, did I mention that we have hypocritical doctrines that contradict it? We have ministers out there yelling things across our pulpits like, Be a man, you bunch of sissies. You should hunt, you should fish, you should arm wrestle. Do things that only men can do. That's why God made you that way. Oh, by the way, shave a beard and have a perfectly baby smooth skin face. Beards are worldly. 
What? That's something only a man can do. You, do you see the, the craziness? If you don't know the traditions and you're, being, you're out there trying to win the, the loss, you bring in people that don't know the traditions, that's not going to make any sense to them. And we don't have enough teaching and enough doctrinal time, enough personal one-on-one leadership, and enough regular ministry worker interaction, and enough discipleship to teach it all. I know, I know. There, there, there's a bunch of people, hardcore, pushing all these different things. Listen, the, the, the point is that is an easy, easy target to point out how arrogantly, inconsistently we have been And if we don't start cleaning some of this stuff up, we're going to have a bunch of good, holiness, Pentecostal, whatever, churches out there that have got the outreach part right, but they haven't got the environment part right. So praise God, at least we may finally be allowed to help reach them. But I don't know about you, I also want to be allowed to help raise them. So the question was, do you speak to them directly and let them know you have noticed the things that are not natural or do you continue to involve them and mentor them, giving them a godly masculine example and, and pray they change? The answer is both but. That's the answer, both but. You must have the right approach and the right environment or your efforts may be mostly in vain. God bless you, and we pray earnestly for you and everyone else that's trying to reach this lost and dying, going to hell generation. Those that we are attempting to win for Christ are super, super valuable to Christ, so they have to be super, super valuable to us, so so we have to get this figured out. If you've got some money in the account, if you've built up, some trust in the bank with these people you need to use it there's no sense having it if you can't use it so they need a good godly person that loves them that will approach them and tell them the truth but I'm warning you if you go talk to them to I'm going to have a sit down with this guy face to face once and for all for 30 minutes we're going to fix this stuff and he's either going to straighten up or he's going to know that I'm again forget it forget it just keep having the relationship you have, keep building and, and, and being an example. But I think you can go and sit down and talk to these people, let you know I love you, I'm for you, I think we've proven it, we're going to continue to prove it. Please don't go away. Um, there are some issues. This is the teaching. Um, I want you to pray about this, think about this. I'm, I'm worried, I'm scared for you. Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't want you to continue down a bad road. Do you have any questions? You, if you had the ability to approach them in love and in truth and continue being around them and being a good example to them and taking them to the right places and teaching them in general amongst their peers, general things, and then teaching them specific things one-on-one and, and going back and forth in a way that they're, they're not going to leave... That's your very, very best approach. 
I realize this may very well be far, far more answer than you anticipated, but these things can get quite complicated when being approached from such a scattered religious background as some of ours. Uh, hopefully you appreciate and could use the extra information. If you, if you need something, if you want to question more, you know, we, we're still taking questions all the time. Uh, uh, I actually have used this piece of material as a blog in the past, and I'm using it now for this podcast, but partly because I've been asked same and similar questions over and over again that I've never got back to, so I went back to this material to use it again. Um, it, it's, it seems in some ways like I'm, I'm ducking and dodging a little bit by giving you all these answers about preachers and ministry workers and environments, but, it, but it's not true. I could have just told you, hey, do, do both. Just talk to him and continue to be an example. But I'm finding more and more 75, 80, 85% of all of these quick little answers that people want to their questions, and I'm not saying you want a quick little answer necessarily, but they're intricately woven into the fabric of what we're doing in other areas. You can't just say, something's wrong with my church. I don't know what's going on. We're not getting people saved. We're not having good worship. Uh, the, the preaching's not great anymore. No altar services. I can't just come in. Somebody just can't just come in and say, here, this is the best song. It always worked for us. Just start singing this song. There's, there's a lot more to it. And you guys, I think you can figure this out. If you're working with these kind of people and you have this kind of a heart, all you need is, is it enough of God's wisdom to make it work, and I believe it'll work. We'll be praying for you. Don't stop working with them. Don't stop thinking. Don't stop looking for ways and ideas to, to make it better. And uh, we're, we're threading the needle. I had somebody tell me so, something here while back. They, asked, uh, they listen to a lot of the podcasts, read a lot of my blogs and stuff, and they say, you're always threading the needle. You're always, you never take a left or a right. You always kind of stay in the middle. And, and it was a criticism of my style of teaching is what it was. And they weren't being mean or cruel or ugly. They were just, they were criticizing. They thought that I should be more definite one way or another. You're going to find almost everything I do is that way. Because I have the ungodly sinful world to the left of me. And then I have some components of far-right, Pharisaic, cultic styles, types, man's religions, family churches, um, all of these different uh, to the right of me. So that's exactly what I do not think that all those churches are all wrong all the time. And I do not think that everything that they say and do is always right. I don't think there's a pure religion anywhere except for Christ's religion. I don't think there's a pure denomination anywhere. I don't think there's a perfect church anywhere. I don't think there's a perfect preacher anywhere. So I'm always pulling towards wisdom. And wisdom tells me you need God, you need prayer, you need the Holy Ghost, you need uh, spiritual wisdom, and you need to directly, one-on-one, help and love and deal with these kids and teach them. And, but it also tells me that it's probably not going to last if you don't continue to create a more and more and more godly environment. 
Uh, hope it did somebody some good, and uh, hope this is helpful to some ministers out there. Uh, lots of ministers, lots of, lots of young people listening. I appreciate you so much, and I'm trying my best to keep producing this kind of material. This was a very specific question to a very uh, uh, specific topic, and I gave pretty specific answers, but hopefully it's valuable to all of our listeners. God bless you, and be praying for us.